over the last couple of weeks, we've been continuing through this series, um, and we've been hearing feedback from folks that you're finding it helpful, so that is really great news. We're thinking about what it means to uh, discover and claim the gifts that God has given us, and then find ways to use them in, in ministry and mission. So STRIDE is an acronym, spiritual gifts, talents, which are slightly different from one another, Resources, that is the, the things that you have at your disposal, like time, money, personal connections, education, individuality, your personal personality characteristics that impact the way you think and work and interact with others. Dreams, that is your hopes for the future, your passions. And then uh, experiences, your life experiences. All six of these things kind of create a puzzle that is uniquely you. Each of us has each of these six things, and no one has the same exact makeup. But God has designed each of us differently and uniquely, and calls us differently and uniquely to put our uh, faith, our gifts into action. Two weeks ago, Sarah introduced this idea of birthright, a concept that's developed in this book by Mike Slaughter, called Dare to Dream, Creating a God-Sized Mission Statement for Your Life. Mike Slaughter is the pastor of a large United Methodist Church in Ohio called Ginghamsburg, and he uh, suggests that your birthright is the reason you were put on the planet, your mission on planet Earth. And if you fully discover and claim your birthright, it ought to do three things, honor God, bless other people, and bring you joy. And if you haven't, if, if what you're doing isn't doing all three of those things, honoring God, blessing other people, and bringing you joy then you haven't yet quite discovered your birthright. Now, he makes a very clear distinction. This is not necessarily your employment. It's not necessarily the work for which you get paid. Many people have a birthright that is their mission that's completely separate from how they pay the bills, but a birthright nonetheless. Last week, I shared a quote from uh, Mike Slaughter where he says, God did not create us to sit around waiting to die so that we can leave planet Earth and go to heaven. No, God created us so that we could use the gifts that God has given us to bring more heaven to planet Earth. You see the difference? Not sit around waiting to die to go to heaven, but rather to use our gifts that God's given us to bring more heaven to planet Earth. This week, we began six new small groups that we're calling Strive Groups. Um, why are there only five of them here? Oh, there's six, the retreat, yes. We started, we started five of them this week. Uh, and 35 or 40 of you are taking part in those, and we're really happy about that. And the good news is, it's not too late to join one. So if you haven't yet had a chance to connect in, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday this week, there are opportunities. And if none of those work in your schedule, there is the sixth group, which, which is a retreat format, on the evening of Friday, May 30th, and Saturday, May 31st. And we will be offering these in, again, in each season, and hoping that 100% of our Hope Gateway community will participate in a strive group so that you can identify your spiritual gifts, talents, resources, etc. Did you have a question about that? If, if you miss, I'm going to miss Tuesday because I'm yep. Can you go to a group? <laughs> I think that would be fine. Would it not want to? Yes. Yes, so if you can't, if you, and in fact, I'm not going to the same week every Every, same night every week because my schedule doesn't work, so I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Yes, I think that's good because uh, they're all doing the same thing. So that's a great question. So it's not too late to join a stride group, and we hope that you will. 
This week, when the Stride Group met for its first session, we shared some words from Scripture, at least we did in mine, and I'm assuming in all of them, from Romans chapter 12. I wanted to share a bit of that passage now and more of it later. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the early Christians in Rome, and this is what he has to say to them. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriately, appropriate priestly service. Do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you catch that? Do not be conformed to this world but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's think about that for a minute. What would being conformed to this world look like in real life? He says, don't do that. So what is it he's saying not to do? What does being conformed to this world look like? Not a rhetorical question. <laughs> don't make waves. Don't make waves. So the world says, don't make waves. Go along to get along. Go along to get along. You see some kind of injustice and you just sort of turn your eye because it would be too much trouble to intervene, speak out, witness. Okay? Be successful. Be successful. At any cost, right? At any cost, okay? I'm only human. I'm only human. Oh, yeah. There's another kind of difference. Number one, who's number one? Always me, right? Never the other person. Okay. Focus only on current events. Focus or only world today. Focus only on current events. Okay. Don't trust anybody and don't get your hopes up too high. Ah. <laughs> Believing in meritocracy. Believing in meritocracy, which is to say. Everyone gets a fair start, why can't you do it yourself? Right. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, yeah, exactly. Just patently untrue, right? Yeah. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So transformed into what? I would say transformed into Christ-likeness. That is the goal of living the Christian life, following Jesus, to be more Christ-like in our living. And that is a continual transformation. It isn't like, poof, I prayed that prayer, and now I'm just like Jesus. Anyone have that experience? No. It's a continual process of striving to be more Christ-like and accepting the grace that God has for us to be more Christ-like as well. So I'm going to continue in that, with that passage in just a few minutes. But first I want to share two experiences from my week. The first experience was on Thursday afternoon. I went to a meeting at the United Way office, a meeting of a group called the Asylum Seeker Working Group. Now, isn't that a catchy name for a group? The Asylum Seeker Working Group. This is a group that meets monthly, and there are a number of city leaders, director of refugee services and health and human services, social services. There are some other nonprofits like Maine Equal Justice Partners is represented there, and ILAP, Immigrant Legal Advocacy Project. Uh, often there are aides from some of our senators and representatives' offices, and then Elizabeth and me. And we always feel it's such an honor and a privilege to be invited to that table. 
So this week, I went to that meeting on Thursday afternoon, and it was one of the rare occasions when I was actually early for a meeting. <laughs> and I was early because I was late last month trying to find a place required to determine it. On time. So I almost thought I'd gotten the wrong room because I, when I walked into that suite, the lights were off in that room and there was just one person sitting in there. So I kind of timidly walked in and I said, Is this the Asylum Seekers Working Group? And she said, Yes, and we introduced ourselves. And she introduced herself as an aide from Susan Collins' office. She asked me where I was from. I said I was from Hope Gateway and Hope Acts. And her face lit up and she said, Hope Gateway, you guys are doing great things there. That's the whole story because I was so my I was blown I don't think I've ever been a part of a church where the senator's office would we would be on their radar. So I was the second story took place another day this week. Some of you have met Meg Moran. She's one of our Justice for Our Neighbors uh, immigrant attorneys. And she is often arriving to meet with immigrant clients at, at High Street. And we have this agreement that there's a room that is hers to use whenever she's there. And I often use it when she's not there. So I was working in that room, and she arrived, so I immediately started to pack up my stuff, my laptop, my backpack, and a pile of papers. And there was kind of awkward shuffling while I'm moving out, and she's moving in. And she said, do you have a minute? Now, I will just confess that often when I hear that phrase, I kind of brace myself. Because often it means that someone has some bad news that they want to share. She had kind of this serious look on her face, do you have a minute? And I did have a minute, but I was kind of um, wondering what was coming. You know, some concern that she had, or something that had happened, or something. So I said yes, and she said, well, I just have to tell you. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, here I just have to tell you. What a special place this is. She said, I, have, I come and go all the time, and I see people coming and going, immigrants and people from the recovery community coming for groups, and people coming in looking for help and community meals, and I see all this happening. This is just such a special place, she said. And then she said, she went on to say how important it is that she sees people who feel completely at home in that place. And what a difference it makes to her as an, as an attorney meeting with clients in a place that feels to them like it's their home. You know, they're completely comfortable. And then she talked about the workshop, the JFON workshop, that we <coughs> how important it was that the, client, that the immigrants who were there were um, so comfortable that they could just raise their hand and ask questions. They just felt completely at home. Well, these two experiences were just really um, beautiful for me. And I know when I tell the story, it sounds like there's a lot of pride in my voice. And I would be lying if I said there's not some pride, because I'm just so proud of this community. But the overwhelming feeling in that moment, and as I'm telling you now, is one of intense gratitude. Intense, overwhelming gratitude that God would use this motley crew of people, this crazy, messy community, in such profound ways to make such a difference. Listen, it is not me, it's not even us, it's God working in and among and through us, right? Yeah. 
It is not any one of us. It's not even all of us together. It's God's Spirit working in and among and through us. That's the intense gratitude that I feel. So, I guess what I kind of feel is that we are a community made up of people with many different kinds of gifts, and little by little, we are finding our stride. We're not quite finding, we're always striving after something, right? But little by little, we are finding our stride in what I feel is intense gratitude. So continuing with the passage from Romans, and I'm actually going to go back a little bit and read what I just read from Eugene Peterson's version called The Message, because I love the way he interprets those words. Here's what he says. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your ordinary, everyday life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's the transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? Readily recognize what God wants for you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings up the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, 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 he says. It is God who is bringing this goodness to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us, not by what we are or what we do for God. In this way, we're like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is, anybody know? The body of Christ, right? God's chosen people. Each one of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing more. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give and give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Aren't those beautiful words about what it means to be the body of Christ? Those beautiful words? The body of Christ. Each one of us is a part. One of you is the eye. Somebody else is the mouth. Somebody is the left big toe. 
and two of you are pinkies. <laughs> and all the other parts, some of which we won't mention. Each one of us has been uniquely gifted and called by God. The body doesn't function unless each one of us knows our place in the body, right? right? If, if you have a body and it does not have two feet, you're not going to walk very far. Right? This is a metaphor, and you could go, you know, you could go a long way with that metaphor, but just live with it for a little bit. And think about what it means to be a body and how we are called to be the body of Christ. Not an organization of a collection of people, but a living organism. A living organism with each one of us discovering and claiming and using our gifts in ways that have impact. That's why those two experiences, hopefully with you guys are doing great things there. I just have to tell you what a special place this is. That's why those comments. Because more and more, each one of us is discovering our gifts and using them in ways that make such a difference. Howard Thurman, who was a, an author, theologian, civil rights leader, and the first African-American uh, dean of Marsh Chapel at Boston University, my alma mater, but before my time, said this, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. What the world needs is people who have come alive. And I just have this feeling is that, that when you come alive, it's because you have found the thing that honors God blesses other people and brings you joy. I mean, that's what this is about, is discovering what that thing is. And I have this feeling that Hope Gateway is a place, more and more, where people come alive. That's the whole practicing resurrection thing that we've been talking about since Easter, where people come alive. And I just have incredible hope that we will continue to live into this more and more into the future, and I'm filled with intense gratitude. So this week I've had a chance to reflect a little bit on some experiences that were really formative in the early years when Sarah and I were here in Portland. So we are coming up on the end of our seventh year here, which is really hard to imagine. But when we first came, about eight months after we arrived, before we even were Hope Gateway, Hope Gateway didn't exist at that time in this point. We still called ourselves Chestnut United Methodist Church. Some of us called ourselves New Life. But during that time frame, um, this community sent Sarah and me, and Geraldine Guitard, who some of you know, and Pat Oliver, who is no longer with us, but who cheers us on from the communion of saints, I know that to be true, sent us to Sheffield, England for 10 days, where we spent time at the Urban Theology Unit. And our host and our teacher during that time was a man named Dr. John Vincent. So here's a picture of us. It's Pat on the left, Geraldine on the right. You see how little Rachel was in her pajamas there. And then John and his wife Grace in their living room. We had dinner at their home. And we spent time there for 10 days. And John just talked to us about urban ministry and coached us and and shared, just when he opens his mouth, just wisdom pours out, and helped us to 
define and refine and begin to describe an early vision of what this community that we are forming here in Portland might be like. And it wasn't like, do this, don't do that. It was just sort of general guidance and principles. But I, so I dug out my notes this week. I had just pages of scribbled notes of things that he said and, and some of the things that we learned. And it was amazing. Now, we could never have imagined six years ago. We could never have imagined Hope House. I didn't even... There weren't any, I had never met an asylum seeker in Portland at that time. We can never have imagined, I don't think, that we would have nine 12-step groups meeting at Hope Gateway and yoga and meditation and retreats and other things to support people on their journey. There's so many particulars we couldn't have imagined, but we were beginning to imagine some big ideas and to be able to describe what that might look like. Well, I'm sharing all of this with you today because today we have with us John Vincent from Sheffield, England. with us. Well, it's an enormous pleasure, as you can imagine, for me to be uh, here today. And uh, looking back, you kind of think, well, what must we have done? <laughs> I mean, these two very attractive, very young <laughs> people uh, suddenly in our midst with their lovely little daughter. And just literally, we were walking around together and sharing stuff and reflecting on kind of stuff. Um, to, to make it a bit dull, Alan, you must read my latest book where I put together <laughs> mantras. Do you know what a mantra is? Yeah, it's kind of things that you find say, yourself saying. You said it for so long or thought it for so long, you say, well, it must be true. So you, in the end, kill it by writing it, uh, <laughs> writing, it, writing it down. So I'd be interested to see if Alan reads this stuff, whether I changed or whether it's still the same old stuff, you know. <laughs> I don't care. Don gets on to me and says there's a chance to revive what he and I have been running only for nearly 25 years, so it's really up-to-date stuff called an Urban Ministry Training Project, which is taking some of the methods that we worked at at the Urban Theology Union in Sheffield and uh, taking them to inner uh, and downtown United Methodist churches in, in the whole of New England. So we've been in Manchester, New Hampshire, and where's that down? I, well, I always want to say Cape Cod, it isn't it? No, Cape, it's Providence, Rhode Island. Providence, Rhode Island. Rhode Island and, and sort of all of And we've been chasing around, getting these excited people together who don't know what they're in for. And uh, um, every now and again, of course, Don says, well, who gateway? And by the end, they say, shut up, you know, we get <laughs> But now I'm here, I can see that when I go back, well, in hope, gateway. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. God bless you all. I just really want to say thank you, John, in a way that I probably haven't before, except, <laughs> except at the 9 o'clock service, <laughs> for the way that your teaching and your ministry and your leadership and your example has been formative for us at Hope Gateway. That was kind of an immersion experience that we had, and we brought back so much that just has worked its way into the DNA of Hope Gateway. And we're just profoundly grateful and excited about how some of these principles will be applied in other places in New England. 
So thank you from all of us. And the amazing thing is, looking around, there were only a handful of people who were with us in 2008. So Don and Sue, Shirley, Fred and Irma, Erica, well, she was a newbie at that point. Jim. Jim. Anybody else want to claim? Wanda. Wanda was a newbie too, kind of a. Yeah? And Shelly, yes. So just a handful. And the rest of us have come along sometime since then. And that continues to happen. We are the body of Christ. Each one of us with a different function, a different part, a different gift but called to use them in ways that make a difference. Do not be transformed. Do not be conformed. Do not be, do be Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May you come to know more about your spiritual gifts talents, resources, individuality, dreams, and experiences. May you know yourself to be gifted. May you know yourself to be one part of the body of Christ. May you find your stride. Amen. So we are going to sing when the Spirit says sing. If you're comfortable standing, I might just stand just because you can't sing this one sitting down. And the Spirit is saying, sing. So let's sing. Sing when the Spirit...